Growth Igniters Radio, Episode 27, Contrarian Leadership for a Culture of Success. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of growth on the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Thanks, Chris. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And right across from me is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi, Pam. I am so happy to be here again with you today. And if this is your first time listening out there, the purpose of Growth Igniters Radio is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas for leaders to take themselves and their companies to the next level of success. So, Pam, what are we discussing today? How taking the approach of contrarian leadership can result in a culture of success. Okay. You know, it takes both skill and art to lead against conventional wisdom. And today's guest is going to share his insights and ideas with us. We're speaking with Colin Day, president and CEO of iSIMS, a company that he founded in 1999. iSIMS is leading the growth of the talent acquisition technology movement with a software as a service solution that helps companies gain a competitive edge in recruiting talent. iSIMS has been regularly making the news for years and they've received numerous recognitions and top awards for customer service, innovation, and growth from all kinds of prestigious global organizations. You can read more about iSIMS by visiting the link to iSIMS site under resources. Now, Colin himself has been twice rated one of the top five forward-thinking innovators in Fast Company Magazine's Fast 50 Readers Challenge. And in 2007, he was named Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year in the Information Technology Software category. Colin, welcome to Growth Igniters Radio, and congratulations on all of those honors. Thanks so much, Pam and Scott, and uh, delighted to be with you guys. So... We always like to begin our episodes by learning a bit about our guests. So tell us, what led you to become the founder of iSIMS? Ah, oh, gosh. Well, uh, it's been a long slog, uh, about 16 years, as you mentioned, and uh, started the company when I was 23. So I, I've got to say, I, I feel like I went to the mm. school of hard knocks, um, but um Went to uh, Cornell and I, I got a degree in psychology and uh, I think uh, wanted to parlay that into business. I, I had entrepreneurs all over my family. Uh, my, my father was an entrepreneur, uncles, brother, etc. But mm-hmm. uh, obviously, you know, being as young as I was, didn't really know what I was good at, what my passions were, what I wanted to do. Um, so I ended up actually joining a recruiting firm uh, right out of school called Comrades Technology. Uh, and I worked as a technical recruiter. So I was actually recruiting people for Bell Labs at the time, AT&T, Lucent Technologies. And it was the heyday of tech recruiting, 97, 98, uh, uh, right, right before everything gloriously imploded. Right. Uh, uh, yep. But had a wonderful time. And uh, as, as, as much fun as it was recruiting, really felt that, again, that entrepreneurial spirit was, was bubbling up in me and uh, just happened to have this amazing opportunity sitting right in front of me, which was we had built an in-house piece of software. It was called Comrise's Information Management System. We called it SIMS. 
mm-hmm. um, and really weren't doing anything other than using it internally. So approached the CEO of Comrise and said, hey, this is going to sound like a totally crazy idea, but how would you feel about spinning a company out, selling the rights of the software to us, letting us uh, take this thing out to the marketplace? And I don't know why he trusted me at, at, at age 23, but, but he did uh-huh. and not only helped us spin it out, but ended up funding it all organically with loans for, for about two and a half years. So a huge amount of credit to him for uh, for trusting a, a very young and naive but passionate person. So the opportunity was, it was the right place, the right time, the right thing. Absolutely. You, you got to have the mix of everything and, and a funding model to, to back you up. Well, clearly you had great ideas. And in our conversations, you've sometimes referred to yourself as a contrarian leader, which really intrigues us. But it's good to know, what does contrarian mean to you? Yeah, I, I feel like I've been called a contrarian for a long, long time. And I think it started <laughs> with my parents, basically, just because of maybe I wasn't listening to anything they were telling me to do. Uh, so uh, I think they, they use the word contrarian a lot. I, I genuinely think, I mean, it, it is what it sounds like. And just at, at the heart of the matter, it's, it's you know, having the will, um, the courage to go in opposite direction of, of where, you know, the, the visible herd uh, is, is clearly going. And, uh, you know, we're thinking about this a lot more and how do we apply that to our company and some of the philosophies. And I, I think what it boils down to for me and, and uh, you know, hopefully for other executives within our company is probably spending a lot more time sort of thinking about and worrying about what you don't want to be rather than coming in every day thinking about what you want to be or what others tell you you should be. So I think, you know, the essence, that's really the, the, the core of the definition for me. Okay, so Colin, how then has your contrarian approach led to ISIM's successful growth over the years? Yeah, sure. I, I think we've had various moments across this sort of 16 years of history where uh, we felt, all right, let's uh, let's take a contrarian approach here. Um it honestly started right in the beginning, and I, I, I often say that uh, the one thing I did not do prior to actually starting iSIMS was really any market research, and I know that sounds crazy, but it wasn't until I'd sort of spun this out and we'd started the company that, that you know, I did a quick Google search. God, I don't even think it was Google at the time, just to age myself, but uh, <laughs> and and found out that there were probably call it a couple of hundred vendors who were doing what we were doing. And and so I think the first moment was, was sort of out of necessity, which is, my God, if we look like all 200 of these vendors, we're never going to succeed. So it was a very quick exercise in sort of learning, how are we going to differentiate ourselves from these vendors? How are we going to stand out from the crowd? Um, so I, I think the mindset was born pretty much from day one, just for survival purposes. But the biggest example that, that I can sort of come up with, um, and this happens in you know, sort of the age-old story in software, is that we started as what most people would like to sort of call a, a point solution. Uh, so we tackled one thing, we tackled recruiting, and we said this is what we want to do really well through the use of, it's called applicant tracking software. Mm-hmm. Um, and and did very well, and we had a whole bunch of competitors who also focused on that. And as tends to happen in software, uh, everyone started to say, okay, what's next? Um, you can't just be a point solution, so what are your next applications, and how are you going to pull it all together? And soon, everyone in the industry started saying, okay, well, you can't just be recruiting. You're broadly in HR, so you've got to start doing everything else in HR. 
and we saw all of our competitors begin to, we called it cross the aisle. Uh, so recruiting vendors started building performance management software. Performance management vendors were building recruiting software. Uh, they were adding in learning and payroll and benefits. And uh, we, believe it or not, thought that, my God, to survive, we're going to have to follow suit uh, because, you know, why it sounds so much more attractive is you can get everything in HR rather than one thing. And I think had this moment where we said, we are going to go down the same path as everyone else. We're going to be somewhat good at our first application, probably pretty terrible at all the follow-on applications, and then spread so thin that we won't actually be able to become great at any one thing. Um, and so we, we sort of asked ourselves, you know, we're, we're up against big companies. Do we really have the resources to spread ourselves that thin? The answer, obviously, was no. I, I think it was also backed up by a really strong conviction, and I think this is the benefit of sort of me coming out as a recruiter, was that recruiting does not belong next to employee management, performance management, payroll, and benefits. You can certainly understand how everything about the employee should be lumped together. But recruiting is Wild West. It's marketing. It's sales. It's brand. And so we sort of took those two elements and said, Let's go off on our own direction. Let's not follow the herd. Let's not build out this full HCM suite. Let's stay absolutely focused on talent acquisition, the thing that we've grown up in, the thing that we know. Timing was was enormous because just when we made this decision was when the impacts of social and mobile and video on the internet really began to be felt. Oh. And, and I'm sure you can imagine the world of recruiting got turned upside down when all of sure. a sudden pe- people don't want to apply with a resume. Uh, they want to use a LinkedIn profile. Uh, they don't want to fly in for an interview. They'd rather do a video screen. Um, and clearly, you know, they, they don't want to apply on the desktop. They're going to be on their mobile phone coming home, mm-hmm. angry about their day and wanting to apply for a new job. So, I think it allowed us to get back into our wheelhouse and address these great new revolutions and uh, sort of uh, emerge as a leader. So it was scary. I, I will not lie to you. We, we we stood up in front of the entire company and we said, if you remember the vision, they full HCM, we're killing it. We're going to shut down the products. We actually had customers on them. We said, we're going to call them and tell them we're not supporting it anymore. But we fundamentally believe in this uh, focused vision and this contrarian vision. So you stood on the precipice, dangled your feet over the edge and said, no, we're going to back away. We're going to specialize and therefore distinguish ourselves. And that is what has led to your success over the years. Wow. Uh, I think, yes, you have one of hopefully many, many things out there. Um, but I'm sure you, can, you, you talked about standing on the precipice. Uh, the irony is we, we, uh, we've been all organic for, for about 12 years, and uh, we had just brought in our first new investor. And the new investor was brought in on this vision of we're going to do everything in human capital management. Uh, so you talk about standing on the precipice. It wasn't just telling your company, um, but it was literally going to the investor who just invested in you and said, you know what, we're going to change everything about what we just told you. So uh, I, I, I definitely thought there might be a moment here where uh, mm-hmm. I, I might get booted by my own investor. Wow. But having the courage of your convictions and the vision and uh, certainly being in the right place at the right time as far as everything that would support this was uh, a powerful moment for you. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk more with Colin Day, CEO of iSIMS, about some of the lessons he's learned in leading a contrarian culture for success. Stay with us. 
You're listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated on the web at businessadvance.com. We enable successful companies to accelerate to their next level of innovation and growth. And if you like what you're hearing, spread the good word. Go to growthignitersradio.com, select episode 27, and use the share links for Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at the top right of the page to tell your social media communities all about us. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Scott and I are talking today with Colin Day, CEO of award-winning iSIMS, about leading a contrarian culture for success. Colin, how can people find out more about iSIMS and about you? They can uh, just go straight to our website. It's www.isims.com. That's I-C-I-M as in Mary S.com. That's great. So let's get back to our discussion. We've been talking about how you came to found and grow ISIMS and how you stood on the precipice and uh, took uh, the company in some new directions. Let's go deeper. In your experience, what would you say is the most important aspect of leading a successful culture that supports your contrarian approach to business? I think, uh, honestly, it comes down to transparency. I think taking a contrarian approach often starts with a gut call. And it's really hard to make a gut call because most people want to make a metrics-based call. Um, And uh, what you have to stand up and say is, guys, I I do not have the metrics, but I've got a very, very strong feeling that we may need to go in a different direction. And so I think we've been big believers that if if you're going to operate with a gut call, you better be willing to be totally, totally transparent about the communications, uh, the successes, the the, the failures. Um, and, and I'm not saying metrics doesn't play a place. We we mm-hmm. clearly every time we make a contrarian decision, we will stand up in front of the company and we'll say, guys, we don't know yet if this is a right or a wrong decision. But here are all of the metrics in terms of how we look at the business and analyze the business. Um, and I think we've got a really fundamental belief, and this comes from our CFO, not not necessarily from me, that we, you know, we're not always going to be right, but we're so intensely metrics focused that we will know when we're wrong. We'll know where we're wrong, and we'll have a willingness to pivot. Um, and, and I think that kind of transparency, sort of coupled with metrics behind the scene, uh, creates. I think what a lot of people often call this sort of authentic leadership, which is, okay, um, there's trust here. And I think, you know, particularly if you're going to be the contrarian, if you're going to make a gut call, go the opposite direction, uh, you, you better hope that there's authenticity at the top and that people sort of buy into uh, these calls. So uh, I, I think those are, you know, again, the transparency and the metrics focus, uh, probably the, the two biggest for us. Okay, and you obviously – you're not following the herd. So how do you reinforce innovation to continue your successful growth and stand out? Sure. You know, we get asked a lot, um, you know, are you the innovator? And and innovation is such a strange word because I think most people associate innovation with new. Um, Oh, wow, they're so innovative. They've come out with new ways of doing this or that or whatever. I, I think 
we're not too concerned about being first to market or most to market or, or cheapest to market. Uh, I think uh, we've told everyone in the company, guys, we're, we want to be best to market. Uh, we only want to come out with a product or a service if we believe it's the best in the marketplace. Um, so I, I think what we try to do is get people a little less focused about new, 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 and a little more focused about how do we make what's already out there uh, the best in the marketplace. Um, one of the things that, that we've thrown out uh, and I think has, has been adopted quite well is uh, one of our core competencies is, is Kaizen, uh, the Japanese term sort of you know, changes good, constant improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's our way of trying to get everyone focused in on we're not looking for the big bang new product that no one has ever seen. Um, we are looking for people who can come in and just continuously tweak and automate and uh, improve on processes, products, systems, even people that are already in our company. Um, so I think it allows us to continue to be very innovative, but in a sort of controlled experimental fashion where uh, we're not making massive, massive mistakes, but, but lots of small measurable tweaks uh, where we can uh, continue to improve over time. But it's like compound interest. Uh, each improvement builds on the next one, and pretty soon you're a heck of a lot better than you used to be. You've got it. That is definitely the hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how then do you and your leadership team keep conventional thinking from creeping into your organization? Would there be that d- danger? Um, you know, we always worry about that. And I can say quite genuinely, uh, you know, I never pictured our company being the size that we are. We're, we're, we're about 500 employees. We're doubling in size every two and a half years, which is just crazy to think about right mm-hmm. now. And uh, there isn't a day where I don't come in and think about, you know, how do we keep the culture? Um, how, how do we uh, make sure that we're not diluting uh, the quality of personnel? Um, mm-hmm. One of the programs that we've put out there, and, and I think it's meaningful, but it's also quite emotional, is uh, a lot of companies, again, will focus on the new. Um, so they'll, they'll get employees thinking about, well, the way that we're going to recognize you is if you come up with something new, build mm-hmm. a new product, help us with a new vertical, a new geography, maybe a new lead generation source. Um, as I mentioned before, new isn't really everything for us. Um, and, and so we decided to come up with uh, something uh, once a year, we give out uh, $5,000, uh, and it's called the Not To Do Award. The Not To Do Award. <laughs> the Not To Do Award. Not, okay. Uh, yeah, not, not the To Do Award, the uh-huh. Not To Do Award. And essentially recognizing and rewarding uh, an individual within the company who, for lack of a better word, has sort of killed off, eliminated, or automated the stupidest thing that we've been doing the prior year. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and I think it, it, it infuses into the culture. Um, and uh-huh. people look at that award and say, okay, well, that's what's respected and that's what's being recognized and rewarded. Um, and, and so we tend to see that when we bring people in who, who want to make an impact, uh, they don't come in daydreaming about what could be. They, they come in thinking about what is and how to improve. And uh, that's been enormous for our culture. So it actually serves as a way to keep you aligned. And at the same time, it's a contrarian approach to innovation itself, the classic definitions. It focuses resources. And if, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, it's alignment. So 
We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Colin Day, CEO of iSIMS, about leading a contrarian culture for success. Stay with us. Is listening to Growth Igniter's radio providing you with new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas that you can use to take your company to its next level of success? Well, if so, imagine how much more you and your company could get from a highly customized in-person Growth Igniter's event as part of your next company offsite. Go to growthignitersradio.com, click contact us at the bottom of the page, and we'll get back to you to discuss how we might best help you achieve your most important goals. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, Scott and I have been talking with Colin Day, CEO of iSIMS, about leading a contrarian culture for success. Colin, how can people find out more about you and about iSIMS? Sure, Pam. So again, www.icims.com. Okay. So let's get down to specifics. What are three pieces of immediately actionable advice that you could give to our other CEOs who are listening who want to take this contrarian approach to leadership? So what's your first piece of uh, actionable advice? Sure. I think, you know, the first thing that I would definitely recommend is uh, if you know you're about to take the contrarian approach, uh, develop a rock solid pitch around why. Um, I think a lot of people will focus on, you know, what are you doing? When are you doing it? Um, but what the company really wants to align on is the why. Because at the end of the day, you know, when we decided to go focus just on talent acquisition, we were putting them in an awkward position. Uh, mm-hmm. And we understood that they were going to have to explain to all of our customers who thought we were doing one thing, why we're not. So, uh I think it really is important when you're when you're doing this. Uh, the what, yes, is is important, but mm-hmm. uh, not nearly as important as the why. So that that pitch that everyone can rally around is is just critical. So the why gives people that confidence that they're going in the right direction. Is yeah, that right? Exactly. Okay. So let's go on to the second piece of actionable advice. Yeah, this is one that I'm not going to take credit for, <laughs> um, but uh, I, I have learned over the last four years is uh, incredibly important, which is, you know, once you've got your why, uh, you, you really have to gain that sort of corporate alignment all the way through the organization. And it is all about constant, and I would call it not even communication, I'd call it over communication. I used to be this sort of well, young, brash CEO who would say, hey, I'm going to say it once and it makes sense, so everyone should just line up behind me. And uh, I think over time, you, you, you certainly recognize if you want something to settle in, you've got to say it seven, eight, nine times, um, and particularly in a rapidly growing company. Uh, when you think, again, that we're doubling every two and a half years, mm-hmm. that every time we're standing up there, there's a solid percentage of your company who's brand new. So That's true. I, I think we've we've honed our skills a bit in terms of uh, over communicating messages to make sure that everyone, you know, recognizes what we're doing. Now in communicating, Colin, uh, do you also seek uh, feedback and input uh, in shaping whatever it is you're doing from the company itself? 
absolutely. We're we're big believers in in top down and bottom up kind of coming together. Um, so what we tend to do is, uh, you know, we have an annual strategic planning process where we really go through everything about the company. Um, and uh, we, we, we start at the top just to sort of look three to five years out. And then we uh, basically bring it to all levels and get them involved to get their buy-in. Uh, mm-hmm. We essentially say, hey, at the end of the day, when we put together a P&L and a plan, we're not the ones owning it. Um, you know, all the managers will own it. All the directors will own it. So so we firmly believe in uh, in getting them involved and getting their buy-in. Uh, so uh, absolutely. So when you talk about communication, you're not just telling. You're listening and shaping and co-creating, and now everyone owns it. And it's my idea as well as yours. So yeah, we've, you we've seen it. that work year after year after year. It's it's really good. How about the third piece of advice, Colin? Um, I think the, the third piece of advice probably goes back to, to something we were chatting a little bit about earlier, which is, uh, you know, if you're going to take this contrarian approach and you've got your why and you, you know you're going to have to now over-communicate it, just know your metrics for success and failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you, you've got to instill confidence that uh, even though you're making a bit of a gut decision, uh, you will scientifically inspect whether it was the right decision or the wrong decision. And we're, we're huge on transparency. Uh, it's a company that, believe it or not, with all the successes we have, tends to focus on what's not going right or what could be improved. Um, and, and I think there's a great deal of respect when, when we stand up, even in front of the whole company, and we walk through our financials and our metrics. We always make sure to hone in on where we've missed, uh, mm-hmm. the pivots and the changes that we're planning for it, and why we think we might be able to hit uh, uh, in future quarters. So again, those metrics become so important. Is there a timing issue with the metrics too, especially when you're doing something that's really contrarian? Like, would you do this more often? It depends, obviously, on on you know what you're doing and how quickly you can collect data. Um, when when we decided to just focus on talent acquisition, we we essentially had to say, guys, we're going to lose all the revenue that we'd estimated coming out of employee management software. Um, and so we're going to have to double down, um, and we're hoping by being great at talent acquisition, you're going to see a higher close rate, um, a higher deal size because we're better at it, um, and uh, and hopefully higher satisfaction and retention. So um, what we try to always lay out is what are the early indicating metrics that, that will sort of give us earlier confidence that we're pointing in the right direction, but ultimately – you know, in a, in a SaaS business, you're really there for retention, and, and that mm-hmm. can take years to bake out. And so you've got to also make sure that you have the patience uh, to wait for these sort of longer-term uh, investments and hopefully payoffs. So it's balancing the immediate return and then looking into the long-term and being able to see that, measure it, and balance it. So, Colin, any final thoughts on contrarian leadership for a culture of success? Well, my big one would be, I guess, pretty obvious, but uh, just be ready to uh, believe in your convictions and stand by your convictions and uh, and do so, you know, even, even when people are telling you you're crazy or this isn't what's happening in the industry. Uh, I always use an example that, you know, we, there's a few things where we've always said, this is what we're going to be as a company. And we talked about pure SaaS and focus on talent acquisition and focus on service. Uh, but we also threw out a fourth one, uh, which is this little unknown world uh, word in the world of software as a service called profitability. Um, <laughs> yes. And we said, guys, we're going to be different. We're going to be contrarian. I know everyone raises gobs of money and burns through it like nobody's ever seen and grows really fast. 
um, but but just doesn't make money. And I said, uh, it's going to be very important for us to make money. Behind the scenes, that's a learning experience. I uh, I lost my funding two years into creating iSIMS and, uh, you know, when the dot-com happened mm-hmm. and uh, ended up having to shrink from 30 people down to eight people overnight and uh, realized right then and there how important it is to actually run a viable, profitable business. So, Um, We have been profitable for 13 years. We have had investors and analysts and bankers come in and say, you're crazy. No one else is profitable. Profitable means you don't believe in your own business. You should be throwing it all into growth. Growth is the only thing that matters. And uh, yeah, there wasn't a day where, and it sounds crazy, um, but that we were told, you know, this is a contrarian position. You're, You're not doing what is supposed to happen in software as a service. And all you need to know is, Fast forward, 2008, 2009, uh, big economic downturn, and you know all these companies that were propped up with gobs of money and losing money uh, suffered greatly, and we continued on. So uh, I think it just comes down to stand true to your convictions. If you believe it's right, um, it probably is right. Excellent advice. Colin, thank you so much for being our guest today on Growth Igniters Radio. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Dan Scott. Okay, and thanks for listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. To check out resources related to today's conversation, share on social media, find out about upcoming episodes, or open a conversation with us, go to growthignitersradio.com and select episode 27. Until next time, this is Pam Harper and Scott Harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to discuss with your team. What conventional wisdoms are we willing to challenge to accelerate success, and how will we get our people behind them? Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters Radio are service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated. All Growth Igniters Radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated intended for the private use of our audience. Except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses, including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated, are prohibited. All rights reserved.